0: I've been heavy listening to the meters. Uh, I'm obsessed right now with George Porter Jr. and his bass playing. He plays bass so perfectly because he leaves so much space. My all-time favorite bass players, George Porter Jr., of course, James Jamerson, Carol Kay, and Donald Duck Dunn. Those are my big four. I think Jamerson and Carol Kay are on one end as far as busyness goes, and Duck Dunn and... George Porter on the other end because they're not very busy at all, but they all four as players they play P bases with flat wounds firstly, and most importantly, and then secondly they just play to whatever fits the song. But that is beside the point. Right now you are about to listen to episode ninety two resentment and other drugs giving you a Poptimist Rewind this week. I was supposed to record an episode that ended up not happening due to some technical issues with my laptop and my interface, which Isaac from the Weird Sisters fixed. So thank you to Isaac. But anyways, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you are getting along with your family. I know it can be a very stressful time of year. brings up a lot of old traumas. So I figured by showing this episode... Maybe you can get something out of it. Okay, I'm going to get it this time. (laughs) I fucked it up three times in a row but four <laughs> is this time number four <laughs> it's now sports. okay so this is the fourth time that we're going to try out this intro welcome back to the poptimist it's me taylor barryman your old friend be sure to like subscribe and rate the show on itunes also follow me on instagram at the underscore poptimist tiktok as just the Optimist, and on twitter as thePoptimist. We have a new episode, final episode of the season for Man of Science, Man of Faith is now streaming. We've decided to take a little hiatus from the show as Milhouse and I are getting busier with music stuff. Zach also has some really exciting career opportunities that are opening up for him. He's got some news. I'm sure he's going to be announcing it soon. Today, I want to do something a little bit different for this episode. I've been thinking a lot about resentment. How I interact with people and how it affects my life. Basically, I've been going back through my life with a fine tooth comb and trying to figure out how it is I am responsible anytime something has gone wrong. And it always can go back to childhood. Always. Yeah. And for me, it typically goes back to years zero to seven, which are a very important time in a child's life. I didn't have a lot of stable adults growing up. I was surrounded either by A, criminals, or B, drug addicts, or C, uh, mentally ill mix of the two.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely think like the first seven years are like the most formative to how you treat people. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. feel like uh, I read like an article about how even like the first few months, or not m- months, but like the f- very first few years that you're born can like affect how you become when you're an adult. For sure. What I've realized for myself is I'm a resilient
0: person, but a lot of the times I make the wrong decisions in the way that I interact with people. It's that reptilian response. And for me, a lot of it goes back to two things, the relationship with my mom and the relationship with my biological father who left when I was seven. When I started looking back, I had to really observe what traits I learned from him at a formative age, and most of the time he was not around, and that can make an impression on any child. He was a drug addict and a cop who frequented prostitutes. He had a cocaine and a crack addiction. He was kicked off the police force. And I really resented him for a long time because he was not around. And this is something I've always been aware of in the back of my mind. You know, I've been very lucky in life because my dad, of course, who adopted me when I was a kid, when my mom got remarried, this was her third marriage that we know of. And she picked a winner that time. But when I look back, I see that my biological father, he was very distant which is something that I am guilty of myself I isolate I don't talk to anyone and I wallow in my own misery and when I trace it back I can really see that was something that I learned because human beings are like sponges especially when they're children it's the first time you're experiencing anything so my mom I never really felt protected or loved by her. She, I had to, I had no empathy growing up. I had no empathy for anyone really until maybe 25 or 26. I didn't ever feel sorry for anyone, anything that happened on the news, whatever. And I saw it as my right to be righteous with whatever truth it is that I was able to wield. But the truth is a powerful thing, Uh, and truth is also there's absolute truths, and then there are truths that are subjective, that can change. You know, the way the way I lived growing up was everybody was acting out in black and white, but the screenplay for life is gray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a real struggle for me. I, I've, I've been going through a list of my resentments and looking at every single thing, every single person that I interact with. And if I have a resentment for them, I have to write it out. And when I trace it back, I can always see that it's something that goes back to my childhood. And I've been thinking a little bit about self-esteem and how it shaped my self-esteem, and I wrote a little bit about it. No father or positive role model, no healthy masculine figure. I suppose this is where I was supposed to get my frame of life from. I became my own father. I was shaped by not having one, not having someone to look over my shoulder when I got scared as a child. There was no one to reassure me, so I learned poorly to reassure myself, pump myself up, I had to develop myself clumsily. I was taught to be ashamed of my name. I was taught to be ashamed of where I came from. That one half of me is bad. Mom always made sure to remind me she was ashamed that she was with a guy like Ward. That's my biological father's name. A shameful mistake in her life. She was a victim because she was young and naive. We moved to Maine and my name changed. The shame began. The process began of hiding who I was and where I came from. I was never taught to deal with the shame. I was taught to just move on. It's in the past. Why are we talking about it? Mom taught me not to be angry. I was acting like Ward. That side of the family has anger issues. That's what she would say to me. I was taught that there was always going to be something wrong with me because I had the same blood as him. I was taught that I'd always be tainted. I was probably 11 or 12 when I moved to Maine. Mm. Up until that point, I had lived in Florida and when I lived in Florida, I, I was scared to move to, to Maine. At this point, my mom had remarried my dad, the the guy that you know that loves me, who is my father, all that stuff, you know. But leaving Florida was just leaving all that shame behind and me not dealing with anything. And I was a kid, how was I was supposed to know? You know, there's there's no way to know anything like that. There's there's no way To really learn to cope if you don't have a healthy adult to teach you how to deal with stressful situations. The only conversation that was had is the, the divorce is over. My biological father completely disappeared from my life. And it was really fucked up because I was born entirely with a different name. And... When we moved, my name had changed. We didn't go through any legal process, anything like that. My mom had lied to the school and said, oh, I'll bring you the birth certificate. My name was just changed because I was born Ward Taylor Wilson Jr. That was that was his name. And when we moved everything, and suddenly I just had this new identity. I was a new person. I could be someone new. All that shit that happened, all that horrible shit didn't matter, whether it was seeing my biological father lose his shit. I I have this, I have very few memories of him when he was around, but there's some that stick out. Like my parents had gotten divorced and I was probably seven at the time. We had moved out of the house because we were living in Loxahachie, Florida. And my mom had moved us. He had converted the apartment into a garage because my biological father was keeping the house or at least staying there and we had moved in there for one night. So looking at that he he never wanted to have a family but his ego was fucking with him. Mm. Because he was an addict. Yeah. He was losing everything. He was losing he was losing something he didn't even want. He didn't want me, he didn't want my sister, he didn't even want my mom. So that I remember we went to go move out and by this time he had already been kicked off the police force for smoking crack. They did, they did a psych evaluation of him and he failed it and he got kicked out. So that was one memory I had was uh, a police officer showing up. One of his old coworkers had showed up to make sure everything went smoothly as we got our stuff out of the house. And he came out just hysterical crying, losing his shit Um, and that was particularly scarring. And then I remember also, I had this little karaoke machine. This was when I was probably four or five. I was, I was a super young kid. And he, he was, uh, he was not paying attention to me. I wanted him to pay attention to me as I was like singing and dancing or whatever. And he, uh, I got mad and thrown the microphone at him. And he was about to beat the shit out of me. But my mom stopped it from happening. So all of my memories in regards to him weren't very happy. I don't have one positive memory of him. I don't even think he ever hugged me as a child. No one hugged me as a child. Wow. Which is why I want to talk into a microphone. Yeah. Tell people to listen to me. Yeah power just went out Yeah, it's getting spooky. <laughs> um, so uh, my sister and I, we were left to fend for ourselves a lot. My sister really took care of me. I have a great positive, healthy relationship with my older sister without her. I doubt that I would be able to be part of the functioning human being that I am today. Cause it was really just us most of the time. I had to also really look at how this affected my personal relationships in terms of dating. So a lot of the women that I tried to date in the past all had some characteristics. They were either emotionally distant from me and all I could want or think about was them or I was emotionally distant from them. I was taught that love was one extreme or the other. Mm. There wasn't a, a normal way to function. So, this resentment grew in my heart and it was a poison to my soul. I don't know what any of the answers are for this or even why I'm sharing this on the podcast because this is. I've talked about some of this stuff a little bit, but probably not at this length. Um, but I just want to make it clear that I, what I'm driven by is trying to be a better human being and owning my shit. I was a victim in this situation. There was, there was nothing I can do. I think until the age of 18, I was a victim. Because after we moved to Maine, my mom was very horribly abusive to me. She had constantly called me retarded, compared me to uh, my biological father, who of course was a drug addict and uh, emotionally vacant. So it, it it was like I was constantly reminded that that's where I came from. That is one half of what you are. This thing that she hated more than anything... I was one part of that and she constantly, she never directly said that to me, but it was always an era of, don't forget, this is what your genetic destiny is and the message was received. So it fucked me up royally. I was very rebellious and resentful of all authority. I I even am till this day. But it's truly because I had no adults around me that were there to care for me and make me feel like I was okay. So I, I fight against the system because, like my hatred of the government, okay? That, that's directly linked to that, which is not a bad thing. The government should never be trusted, just like my biological parents should have never been trusted with children. It's the same fucking thing. You just give them a bunch of money, and what do they do? They go buy crack, and they go buy pills. And they spend it all on themselves. Citizens be damned. Here's a $1,200 check. Don't ever talk to me again.
1: (laughs) That's what the government does every time.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But as I'm working through all this stuff, it's been feeling very cathartic. It affected my self-esteem so greatly. Because I had to hide who I was. I never wanted anyone to know where I came from or what it is that I came from, the environment that I came from. And I tell all kinds of crazy stories on man of science, man of faith, you know, any of the stories that I've told. Yeah. And I think part of me talking about that kind of stuff was to really get it off my chest because it's stuff that I felt guilty about stuff that i'm not necessarily proud of you know what i'm saying yeah they're not they're not they're funny stories but they're they're kind of tragic in a way you know it's like i i I would be sad if if i heard (laughs) the only other acceptable person i could hear this shit from would be zach and it wouldn't affect me i'd be like this makes sense i get it i understand um but it's been a real cathartic process going back and looking through it. And myself, like I was saying, my self-esteem was greatly affected and I had to trace that back even further as well. And as I kept going back through things, I realized the number one person and the number one thing I resented is myself. I resent myself more than anything or anyone. I don't hate myself I think there's a difference between self-hatred and resentment, but the, the resentment I feel for myself, I constantly have negative messages in my head about not doing enough or not doing good enough, but that was because it's a defense mechanism for overcompensation so every time I feel like I don't do good on the podcast or every time I feel like I could have practiced better or could have practiced at all, could have written a, a new song today, I could have done this, I could have done that, I, could, I should call my sister more, I should call my dad more, I should go visit my sister in Florida. I made this giant list of all the shit that I resent myself for. And all of that was really just to Survive. Like, that's a survival mode instinct. I've always had this undeniable self-belief in myself. You know, I I know anything. I can face any storm, any adversity, and I'm addicted to it in a lot of ways. Adversity, there is nothing I like more than adversity. I think probably adversity is number one and then resenting myself is number two. But adversity is number one, because adversity is always going to happen in life. There will be a storm. Things will go horribly wrong. But it's your reaction to it. I feel like I get into this superhuman mode where I can, I can fight my way through it. Um, and I, uh, I think the, the se- sense of being self-righteous and wielding that sort of truth when I was really going deep, when I was first starting to go through this stuff a couple of years ago, I decided to come back around to this because I just need to figure this shit out. I'm almost 30. But for a long time, I had that sort of truth and I would drop that hammer. And I got a great thrill out of scaring, silencing, and stunning people. And again, going back and looking at relationships i i had no healthy or positive masculine role models when i was a kid all it was was a, truly it was toxic masculinity but as much as you know i think some of this stuff today is going around that's bullshit you you look at people like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, guys like that. Those are, that is toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I had no positive, healthy male role models until my dad came into my life. (laughs) And I've always felt a little bit like Dexter. You ever see the TV show Dexter about the serial killer? Yeah, I've seen a few episodes. Okay, so you remember in that show, his dad. Uh, Recognized that he had some serial killer traits and instilled morals in him to yeah. keep him from killing normal people. So he, he had a bloodlust, a bloodlust for who he deemed as unworthy. And I think in a lot of ways, my dad has done a great job because I don't, I don't always necessarily know what my dad thinks, thinks about me. You know what I'm saying? If he thinks I'm a complete fucking lunatic... Um, but he really developed a strong sense of morals and character in me to where now I notice whenever I'm going against those, but it's also as a human being, it's easy to push that voice away from you and say, no, I'm not the problem. Yeah. It's everybody else. <laughs> it's Millhouse's fault. It's all fucking <laughs> Millhouse's fault. Me, me, me. I am perfect. I have done nothing wrong. I am a victim. I just wish someone would do this for me or someone would do that for me. I am perfect. There is nothing I need to do. The rest of the world needs to bend to my will. Well, guess what? That ain't fucking rea- reality. Yeah. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. So all I can do are look at the people that are in my life. And accept them for being human beings as I'm learning to accept myself. I also had to figure out, if you want me to get real, I had to figure out with you, I've learned a lot of lessons from being your friend. Oh, yeah? Yes. What lessons have you learned? One is that you and I are very different personality types. Oh, yeah. Maybe polar opposite personality types. Yeah. We're kindred spirits, for sure. But this is the first time that I've really had someone younger than me as a friend because I've never been this old before. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, good. So I've had to learn like the, the hard way. You know what I mean? Like There have been times where I feel like I've really failed you and gone too hard on you and other times where I haven't gone hard enough.
1: yeah. I I don't know, dude. Everything that you've you've ever showed me, or like, especially with like, even you know, like working with musicians and how to do all that, and you know, everything that you've showed me has helped a lot. So I mean, I'll say that I'm glad, but I don't think my methods have always been good. Sometimes they've been a little extreme. They've
0: been, (laughs) but (laughs) but you know what? Again, I can trace it. You know why? You know why it's that way though? That's that self defense mechanism kicking in. Because it's more about how I feel about myself than it could ever be about how I feel about you. Because I see you slip sliding around like I did when I was your age, and that's not a knock on you. That is completely normal and completely natural. But I see that and I panic in myself because I'm like, I'm not on my shit. I better fucking tell
1: him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, when, when I have been slip sliding, you know about, and you tell me, dude, it's it's helped me get back on track. So I'll I'll give it that, you know. Yeah, it has, but like
0: yelling at someone <laughs> never really makes them listen.
1: <laughs> like when we're doing demos, <laughs> like,
0: like when we're doing demos, uh, but. You know what? Actually, I stand by the demo, thing, dude. You know what? I, we gotta we gotta come up with a good product. We gotta make the music good. Uh, no, I'm I'm fucking with you. But yeah, no i I just have to. I had to really look because you're nine years younger than me, a different personality type than me. We do. We grew up in different circumstances. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You had parents that loved you when you were a little kid. Yeah. And it, may, it made me resent you Whether I'd like to admit that or not I never had that until. And I don't get me wrong I have my dad I have my dad and he raised me He loved me And I am unbelievably lucky that I got that Because who knows where I would be now He's the reason I got into music He's the reason Any of the good things that happened in my life He always encouraged me But I resent people that have come from a loving caring environment because i never had that yeah i don't even know what that would be like to come out of the womb and just have all these people that think you're the greatest because everybody told me taylor why don't you shut the fuck up that was my childhood and in school i rebelled in school i was a good kid i never really got into trouble or anything like that but i always Felt very resentful of school, too, because I felt like I was just sent there to get out of my mom's hair because she didn't want to deal with me. I hated school. I didn't like it. I didn't like the other kids, but it was because I didn't like myself. I went through a horrible, horrible black depression when I was 17, about to turn 18. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I was 18. I was a few months away from graduating high school, and I had no game plan for my life. Because up until this point, all I had known was sadness, darkness, and pain. And the further I burrowed into that, I could burrow into that because that's what I knew. That, that's what was comfortable for me. I had planned on killing myself in February of 2010. My mom and my dad had gone out of town... And left me home alone in Maine. And I was there. They had trusted me to go to school. I skipped school almost every day and spent the whole day in bed. Stayed up all night. Slept all day. And just wanted to die. I wanted to die. I know what that feeling is like. And maybe other people out there for sure do. Um... And part of me wanting to talk about this kind of thing today is to remove the shame and let the secrets go from my life. Because I know I'm not the only person who's experienced something like this. Everybody has to a certain degree. Um, We all have family members that suffer from mental illness or addiction. And I've wanted to keep this hidden. And it eats away at me. And when I interact with people, it, it's always there because it's just in my, my wiring. It's the way that, I, the, the good thing is I, I can play nice with people, but it's whenever those emotional moments happen, those emotional triggers where I look over at someone else and there's something that I see from my past that forces me into a reaction, an
1: emotional reaction. Mm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but kind of explain it a little bit better on that.
0: Well, okay. So it was like I was saying earlier about you not being on your shit. Yeah. I panic, and I feel like I'm not on my shit ever. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I come down with the hammer. Yeah. Because feel it's really a reflection of how I feel about myself. Is it fucking annoying when you don't do something that I asked to do 10 times? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that, yes. But you do a pretty good job. You do a pretty good job at producing the show, um, doing all the music stuff you're doing now. You're starting to get busy, and I'm, I'm really... Proud of you. So those times when I get angry, it's really, again, a reflection of me and how I'm feeling about myself Whatever that moment is. I have the tendency to just isolate. Yeah. To be around no one. To withdraw into myself. To try and not even exist. Because if I don't exist, then I can't feel... Pain, but pain is a natural part of life. You're going to feel it no matter what happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when I first, when I first met you, you isolated a lot, a lot, a lot. You know, I, I would, I would, I barely even knew you were in the house most of the time. Yeah. Well, I also
0: wasn't around much in the house because I was driving so much. So I would be gone all the time, and if I was there, I was in my room,
1: just locked, locked away into my soul. I had a friend come down to Nashville, and he didn't even know I had a second roommate. Like you know, but you were around. Yeah. Well, we were we were also in a bad living situation, and we weren't exactly like friends at the time.
0: No, that was that was. I mean, we. I feel like we became friends. Pretty quickly after you moved in, maybe like after a month or two, we really started hanging out, like yeah. once you kind of got settled in the house. But I was also like, this kid's this kid's young, you know, and it didn't it didn't really click to me of how fresh you were at the time. It didn't really click to me how new you were. I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> and I was twenty-seven, about
1: to be twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. So, But we've lived together through a lot, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've lived through, through a good amount. It, it feels like it's been a long time. It feels like
0: it's been five years. <laughs> it does, dude. And it's been almost two years. Yeah. And you've become one of my closest friends. Yeah. Like, I almost died because of Fuckface, our old fucking roommate. Because I had smoked weed with him. He was like, come smoke weed with me. And I usually never did. I usually never hung out for him. For whatever reason i did that night and i took one hit off of it it fucked me up unbelievably heart palpitations lung palpitations just shit pulsing i was passing out you were there yeah you experienced the whole thing um but even uh even that situation with him he generally is a dirtbag loser he He's exactly the kind of person that I grew up with taking care of me as a child. And I use the term taking care of very lightly. Yeah. He was the kind of people I was surrounded by. Um, but he has his own pain and his own flaws. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's rough. That's, that's, uh, that's rough. That that night was scary for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I was worried, dude. I stayed up that night. That was, a, that was a tough time.
0: And I made it to work. <laughs> yeah.
1: I made it to fucking work at 5 a.m. Can you fucking believe that? You, I deserve a raise just on that alone. I can't believe that I took you there because I should have, like, looking back, like, I should have just took you to the hospital. Yeah. Like, but you were like, let's go to work. And I was like.
0: <sighs> but again, that's, that's because I'm crazy, dude. <laughs> I almost fucking died that night. I was fucked up beyond all belief the worst I've ever been fucked up in my life. And I'm not just saying that with drugs or whatever, because it was weed laced with cocaine. That's what it was. Yeah. And they told me that when I got to the hospital, but I never been that sick in my life. Like even I, I had swine flu when I was 17. That's the only other comparable thing that I've experienced. Yeah. But it was super fucked. I mean, looking back on it now it was a miracle i lived because i, I was passing out and yeah. then i puked everywhere and once i puked it was better but i was still once i puked it was like okay i'm not gonna die
1: yeah and
0: i think that's why i went to work because i was like i can go
1: to work <laughs> dude i was worried you were gonna puke in your sleep you know i, I was I, I was worried that you were gonna puke in your sleep yeah when you puked in our kitchen i was i was like fuck it you was know, not good. It was not a good situation. I who do, I called somebody that I called Josh that night. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. and was freaking out. Yeah, because um, I didn't know who else to call. I don't yeah. think I was friends with Zach yet. If I had been, I would have called Zach. I remember, like, dude. I I remember things in bits
0: and pieces from that night. Um, and I called Zach, and I was like, "Dude, I'm really fucked up. I think something's." wrong with me and he's like just do some push-ups and at this point i'd already done push-ups i had already done all of that um because i was like i can sober up but there was no sobering up from this like my body was taken by fucking
1: weed and cocaine yeah. it was horrifying yeah i didn't i didn't smoke that night and i'm glad i didn't because we w- we both would have been yeah, we both would have been fucked. It only
0: would have been that fucking crackhead. That was fine.
1: Yeah, that was a rough time, but um, definitely memorable. I'll say that. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. And after that, I mean that that was really the crown
0: fucking jewel for me with him. Where I was like, I'm not going to fuck with him anymore. And my my hatred for him, which I feel like I'm justified in this my my hatred that that hatred you know yeah um i can forgive him in the fact that he had a hard life but on the other hand he almost fucking killed me and didn't even give a fuck he's a coward he is a fucking yellow belly coward and he will fuck himself in the end because that is his story in his head you know what i'm saying yeah
1: i hope he hears this i hope he does fucking hear this yeah. I mean, it, it, this is all true. You yeah. Know, all, all of this happened. Yeah. Like, and I, I think back to that whole situation with, like, my mindset and that house. And, like, it's all all blur because I was just so unhappy at the time. Being there and living like... You were like, in a bad relationship. I was in a bad relationship. A new, brand new environment. Yeah. I was homesick constantly. Dude, that might have been, like... The I would say that's the saddest I've been just because of all everything that was going on. I got fired from my job. Yes. I was in a bad relationship. We were in a bad house. Yep. I was paying too much rent with no money. Yep. Um, you know, and, and all that stacked on me at that time. So, I mean, those were dark times for sure. But um, I look back on it now and I'm like, I'm at least thankful for knowing what that's like. I'm thankful,
0: too, because I really felt like I shed a lot of shit in that time period, because I had moved into the house maybe
1: a year before you or so, because we lived in that house together for a year, right? I don't know if we even lived in that house for a whole year together. It might have been under a year. It might have been just a little under a year. It was maybe
0: 10 or 11 months. Yeah. Which seems crazy because we were also on COVID time too, because we were planning on making our escape. We started after that event. We were planning on moving out. Yeah, and then COVID hit, right? And then COVID hit. So, Ooh. yeah, you were really only living in the house for like
1: six or seven months when COVID hit, dude. That's kind of isn't wild. that wild. I, that is wild to think about. I didn't did. Co- Did COVID start while we were at that house? Yes. Dude, it it did, because we were worried about the lockdown and all that going on. Yeah, because we didn't want to be locked down with them. I remember that now. Yeah. That's kind of wild. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So I moved in August of the year before COVID, so 2019. And we moved out in in July of 2020 sometime, late July. Yeah, late July. Because we moved into this house in August.
0: Yeah, it was like the end of July
1: when we moved in here. Beginning
0: of August, once we finally got all moved in. But before you had moved in, there was another roommate that was in the house that was a sex offender. Yeah. That fuckface knew about and did not tell me when I moved in. And I could have looked it up online, but I didn't know to even think it was a possibility that i could accidentally move in with a sex offender you know what i'm saying
1: you don't you shouldn't have to look up if your roommates are sex this, offenders. this says
0: the kind of person that fuck face is you know what i'm saying yeah
1: yeah i mean that's that's never been a thought for me though
0: because i had moved into the house so my buddy ryan love ryan i have nothing bad to say about him he knew fuck face because they had lived together like out in california they were they were friends So he didn't fully know he lived in the house for three months He wanted to move back to california and he's like can you take over This room And I was looking for a place at the time I was going to be back in east nashville I was like, yes Absolutely So I had known like josh norfleet and all of them a little bit like I was friendly with them I had played with them a few times out at the blues jams but my friendship really started with Josh Norfleet once I moved into that house because he lived right down the road from me. So he would stop by all the time. Yeah. And this was emotionally a time period that I really needed a good friend in. And he was that friend to me. It was just He is someone without judgment. Yeah. You can say anything to him and he will not fucking judge you. Yeah. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, but back to the sex offender thing. Uh, so this guy, he sits me down. Whatever little honor he had left as a man And tells me He said hey I wanted to let you know That I'm a sex offender Like I'm a registered sex offender If you look it up online It'll show That I like live in this house And it did I looked it up It showed that a sex offender lived at our address Which our landlord didn't know about She had no idea about Because this uh, The sex offender knew that it would only show up if she did a federal background check and she didn't do one because yeah. he was thrown out of the air force for forcing himself on an air force girl. He finger blasted her on a new year's Eve at a party full of military police. It was a military police officer's girlfriend that he did this to. So this guy, he had a few screws loose. Yeah. He was very weird. I never, you know, when you see some weird guy at a gas station and you just get a, a creepy vibe from him, I lived with a guy who was like that.
1: You lived with a creepy guy at the gas station? Yes. <laughs> dude, that's fucked.
0: Fuckface knew about all of this. Damn. So things were getting underway. This is yet another, this is a traumatic situation, dude. As an adult, I was put into this situation, but I was able to process it. To a certain degree, it was so fucking stressful though because this guy, I felt like he could fly off the handle at any time and just fucking stab me in my sleep. My door didn't have a lock either.
1: Yeah, mine didn't either.
0: Yeah. So he starts warring with us and starts going after us, starts picking fights with us about things like stupid shit. Yeah. Like leaving the doors locked. When it's the middle of the day and someone's home, he was yeah. He was starting to pick fights about stuff like that, and I tread very lightly. He and Fuckface had a war going on; they hated each other. It was actually kind of funny to watch them get into arguments and get into because you can imagine the stupidity. Yeah. yeah. Imagine Fuckface versus a sex offender,
1: and you're just watching. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm just there. I didn't really take a side. (laughs) I was just kind of in the background because I I was like, it was like the ending of Jurassic Park, you know, the original Jurassic Park where the Velociraptors fight the T-Rex. Yeah. It's like if the Velociraptors and the T-Rex are fighting, then I have nothing to do with it. I was like the humans that were there (laughs) and they're like, we need to get the fuck out of here immediately. (laughs) So how this situation came to a, a head with the sex offender was he had a friend. That he worked with. And they were all stagehands. And I will stand by this. People are going to hate me. But stagehands are the scummiest fucking people in Nashville. And I hate them, dude. Maybe the people who on the road are different. That might be, They might be fine. They might be professionals. But a lot of the people that I met working as a stagehand, because I did it a few times, were fucking degenerates. They live at by the week motels. And they are drug addicts, most of them. Yeah. Which again, I should be more empathetic. I should realize that it triggers me because these are the kind of people I was surrounded by as a child. So he gets ratted on by one of his friends because he and his friend got into a disagreement. His friend knew he was a sex offender, reported him to their job, Reported them to the police. That's what this guy did. The police show up at her house. Someone knocks on the door one day. All I hear is someone knock on my door and they open it and it's a police officer. Damn. And he says, do you know where sex offender shoes are? And I'm like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh... What's going on? So I walk out there. He is in handcuffs in our front yard. Meanwhile, our landlord has no idea about any of this. Because we are scared that we are gonna get kicked out of the house immediately. Because fuckface, before any of this happened, he was put into a tight spot. Sex offender didn't tell him that he was a sex offender until it was like three days or a week before he already got approved to live in the house, all that shit. Wow. So he, did, he was equally as scummy as fuckface. I mean, how can you not be a fucking sex offender and yeah, be scummy like that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with any of that, but that, that was horrible too. I mean, it was just generally a very fucking horrible time, and I felt like I really had to use my wits
1: and stay in survival mode. Yes. I couldn't imagine it being in that situation. I, I'm still processing everything that happened with our situation. I couldn't imagine being in that one. Yeah,
0: you were there for part two of it. Uh, yeah. I had an ally when you moved Because <laughs> fuckface was on my shit list because I moved in with a sex offender and I
1: didn't know it. I didn't give me a fucking heads up. You had to have been sketched out when a new person was moving in. I was sketched out, but we had met...
0: When he told me that he was much younger and he was like a nice kid, came from West Virginia, has a nice family, good piano player, has his shit together, I was a little bit relieved because even he... Even Fuckface was like, we need to get someone good this time.
1: yeah yeah i I still would have been weary because like having you know because he was the reason i moved there you know yeah so i knew him and that you didn't know me (laughs) no i didn't (laughs) you had no idea what i was gonna be like no i had no clue you took a leap of faith yeah well i wanted to move out and be on my own you know live on my own live in a house full of adults yeah and stuff and that was my that was my first adult interaction of like living in a house yeah that was (laughs) what a time (laughs) right (laughs) I mean, we, you and I, we had each other then. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it was like by the second month we were we were friends and, you know, it, it was cool. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I was super nervous about that moving into that house. Yeah. I, it didn't feel good. Like, I got vibes that something was up. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, I, I learned from that for sure. But, yeah, I would say, like, even, like, that has to do with, like, that has to deal with some kind of trauma in life. Just all that that's happened. Yeah. Between like having to deal with that and, you know. Yeah. It's stressful. Almost dying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've had, I've had a very,
0: uh, a very weird life. Like uh, as an adult, I can process something like that in the moment as it's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it might take me a few weeks to like come around to it or realize what it was. I have more perspective on it now, obviously, cause we're not in that situation anymore. Um, but I wanted to do this episode today cause it's kind of different than the other episodes that we've done. I wanted to do something real. Hopefully people can connect to this, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going back and forth on it in my head because I felt like, why am I going to talk about this? Is it just narcissistic that I go this deep on my life? But I'm, I'm hoping by doing this and being real about my life and what I've seen and what I dealt with, that it alleviates something for someone who's listening right now. I'm incredibly grateful For every single person that listens, someone's probably listening right now and they're mowing their lawn or they're doing their dishes and maybe they can relate to the experience. It might not be 100% what they experience, but it might at least be comparable and something they can relate to. If something makes you resentful, do not do it. Jordan Peterson. And I'm trying to live my life by that tenant now. I'm trying not to resent myself. I'm trying not to resent other people. Um, trying to be more empathetic. Empathy is something that I really have to make an effort to have. I don't naturally have an empathetic disposition because of the environment that I grew up in. grew up in. So thank you for listening this week. Again, I know this was kind of different, went out in the space, but I'm hoping that getting raw and getting real, someone who is listening can relate to it and alleviate some of their pain for just a minute.
1: This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.
0: Welcome back to The Poptimist. It is I, Taylor Berryman, your faithful host, here to bring you a brand new episode of the show. Be sure to like, subscribe, and tell a friend about the show. You can also email me with any feedback with, at The Poptimist. I, I want to start over, bro. <laughs> I fucked up right away. I fucked up right away, Milhouse. God, third time's a fucking charm. <laughs> Welcome back to The Poptimist. Here we are for another new episode. Be sure to like the show, subscribe, give us a rating on iTunes. Helps grow the show. Also, I need to start again, dude. I was I was not <laughs> feeling it. I was not fucking feeling it. I'm sorry, Millhouse.